0: Good morning, church. Good morning. I I don't I don't get celebrity culture. I just don't. Like I don't read tabloids. I don't uh, I don't watch TMZ. Is that even a thing anymore? I don't get on Twitter, which is basically the same thing, right? Um, I don't care about what celebrities' personal lives are like. Um, I'm I'm even a little hazy on what it what qualifies you as a celebrity anymore. And I don't know who most of the people on those shows are. For me that's not good entertainment. And as your pastor, I don't really endorse it. (laughs) But I think I understand it at least a little bit. See, when the, when the rich and famous the social elite and the beautiful people get caught saying dumb things or doing embarrassing things, it can make you feel a little better. Those are moments when you realize that without the makeup and the photoshopping and the dramatic lighting and the auto-tune... They're just regular people, deep down. Now, granted, being fabulously wealthy and famous can do weird things to regular people. But whether they're revered and idolized or mocked for their eccentricities, every celebrity is just a human when all is said and done. So when you see one with, you know, bedhead arguing with a cashier, about getting charged for organic bananas when these are clearly the regular kind. We feel like we're getting a glimpse at who they really are. Well, Lent is going to kick off on Wednesday. And um, the this, this season of Lent is a time when we'll take an extra careful look at our own lives. And we'll confess to God who we really are. Our bedhead and unorganic bananas. And it's um, it's kind of unpleasant when you do it. But uh, acknowledging those unflattering moments, those, the, those moments when we aren't our best self, that's It's an important part of admitting who we really are. When we strip away our masks and facades and look honestly in the mirror, we're going to see a picture of ourselves that is uncomfortable, probably humiliating. Now, the funny thing about Jesus is that when we see him for who he really is it isn't at all unflattering if you want to see who the real Jesus is that is when you strip away the masks and look directly at him you know where you see that on the mount of transfiguration i think it's a mistake to to see what happened on that mountain as God putting his glory on Jesus. I don't think that's right. I think it's better to understand that God was pulling back the veil that Jesus wore every day. So, Who is the real Jesus? He is radiant as the sun. Wrap your mind around this for a moment. He is so important that when he talks to Moses and Elijah, they're asking him what he's up to. I mean, you take, you take any child of Israel in the entire scriptures after Elijah, and you say, you get five minutes with Moses and Elijah. Would you spend that time talking about yourself? But Moses the one who brought the law. And Elijah, the foremost of the prophets, they're asking Jesus what he's up to. Who is this Jesus? Well, according to the voice from heaven, the chosen one, the beloved son of God. Up on that mountain, there is this moment when the veil is peeled back, when the mask is taken off and the glory shines through. And after seeing his true self, we learn even more when the mask goes back on. Because all that glory, terrifying and awesome, it would have made it impossible for us to approach him. You remember how when Moses would go into the tent of meeting to talk to God and he came out reflecting some of God's glory and it just, people couldn't take it. They were like, cover up your face so we can talk to you. That was the reflected glory of God. If Jesus had come down that mountain in his full glory, we could not have approached him. We could not have related to him we most certainly could not have crucified him so he put the mask back on he hid that glory away and only gave brief peeks at it here and there to remind us he's God's son and in this one moment you see that he is both terribly glorious and incredibly humble. You know, I think that, that, that glory, I think that is part of why we come, worship together. It's certainly fair to say that it's one of the goals we have for our worship services. I want you to see Jesus for who he really is. I want you to be awestruck When you see him, I want you to come here because he invited you to, and then I want you to be surprised by his power because it's always bigger than you think. And I want you to be captivated by his wisdom because it's always deeper than we are prepared to understand. And mostly, I want to move out of the way so that you can get a really clear view. And I think. Sometimes it happens. Not with everyone and not every week. But it's what we're doing here, right? We're, we're singing, we're listening, we're praying, we're speaking, we're reading. These are all ways that God pulls the veil back to show us his beloved son. Maybe you've had one of those experiences. I mean, like in a big way. Maybe, you know, maybe some Sunday we finish the final song and I tell you all, go have a great week, but you don't go have a great week because you don't want to leave. Like You hesitate for a little bit. You want to linger. You want to hang on to that moment. Like like when you wake up from an important dream and you, you don't want to lose the details. A lot of times people have these kind of experiences, you know, at, at conferences or conventions or concerts, or retreats. Events like that are often designed to have a big moment near the end. And we in the church, we have a term for those moments. You know what we call them? Mountaintop experiences. And it's not, they're not bad, right? Like, there's nothing wrong with those. In fact, those experiences can be really important, provided that the message they're reinforcing is in agreement with who Jesus is. Because people can leverage those moments for all kinds of wrong things, too. But when they're pointed the right way, they can be a really good thing. When when someone has that sort of aha moment, grasping with their heart something they might have known in their mind for a while, that that can sometimes mark a significant turning point in their faith. And you know what happens when we have those moments? Our natural response is to say it's good to be here. I want to stay here. I want to stretch this moment forever. Let's put up some tents and settle in. It's not a bad feeling. I don't blame Peter for saying it. It's a good and it's a natural Response and it reflects a longing that God wants us to have, the longing for our eternal home. That's what mountaintop experiences with Jesus really are, you know. They're a sneak peek of what's to come. But Jesus didn't take Peter, James, and John up on that mountaintop to stay there. And not for the reason you might think, you know. It's not that they, that they couldn't stay. No one told them they couldn't stay. But if they had stayed, they would stop being followers of Jesus because Jesus didn't stay on the mountaintop. He had some important things to do down in the valley of the shadow of death. He had a whole different mountain he needed to climb. He took those three men up the mountain, not so they could stay, but so that they could carry that experience back down the mountain with them. See, when Peter says it's good for us to be here, he's right. It was good. But as long as they stayed on the mountain, who was it good for? As long as the mountain was the destination, no one was blessed by it except for the folks up on the mountain. But God's intentions are bigger than that. God's intentions for this church are much, much bigger than having a good experience for the folks who are here physically or even tuned in online. See, when Moses and Elijah went up a mountain to meet with God, It was because God had work for them to do when they came back down. And the same is true for Peter, James, and John. They needed to see and hear what happened on the mountain. But following Jesus meant carrying those experiences back down the mountain. That's what we're here to do today. Here in this time and place, God offers you a face-to-face, even physical encounter with his beloved son. He offers a glimpse at who Jesus really is, but you aren't meant to leave that revelation behind when you go home today. You're meant to hold that glimpse when following Jesus takes you through the rough and winding roads of the rest of your life. He's given you a glimpse so that you can speak with confidence and and I understand I'm speaking to Lutherans when I say this, but enthusiasm about the Savior that you have, one, as glorious enough as glorious as the sun, and humble enough to hide it for your sake. This Jesus, who is nothing other than the very image of God's love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the mountaintop experiences you give us. And we thank you for this incredible story we have in scripture about how glorious your son truly is. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we wouldn't just be gratified by that, but that it would fuel us as we go back out into the world. There's a lot of people who don't get that glimpse on their own. People who need to hear what we have seen him do, what we have heard him say, how we have seen him move. We pray, Lord, that we would take this glory revealed to us, out into our community, out into our week, and that we'd be changed by it. As we stand kind of on the precipice of Lent, we give you thanks that you've shown us a glimpse of the real you. And we, help, we ask that you'd help us to be honest with the real us. And recognize that the difference there is a testimony to nothing else than your amazing, abounding love and grace. All these things we pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.